Well, good morning. And welcome to those of you who are joining us online. I'm so glad that you could be here with me today, with us today. For those of you who don't know me or have forgotten, I'm Pastor Graham. I'm the teaching pastor here at Elam Chapel. And before anyone else asks, yes, I was on vacation for three weeks. It was terrible. Thanks for asking. I got sick the second week of my vacation. I was out with awful cold. And on the third week, my darling wife took sick. And neither of us have really fully recovered. We're both, we're all, actually, everyone in the house is still coughing and we're waking up at night coughing. And um, we're we're feeling a lot better, but (laughs) it was not a super relaxing, wonderful time. Thanks for asking, though. We've been working in the book of Proverbs. We've been studying these different topics. And uh, today we're going to be working on another one. And I'm excited to be sharing that with you today. I'm excited to be back with you. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get into the Bible for today. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for Sunday that we could be together. Thank you for your word that we could study it. Thank you that it is applicable. Thank you that it matters to our lives today and that we have the opportunity to love you not only with our hands and feet but with our minds as we learn to think like you. In your name we pray. Amen. So the book of Proverbs is an interesting book for a number of reasons. First, it is interesting because it is one of the few books of the Bible that contains no narrative. None. There's no story that's being told as we work our way through the book, as with books like, say, Genesis or Samuel or one of the Gospels. There isn't even really a story going on in the background the way that that the book is commenting on the way that we could say with prophetic books like Isaiah or Jeremiah. Proverbs has a historical context. It was written at a particular time, but it's almost irrelevant to the actual reading of the text. Secondly, in addition to the historical context not being super important, the textual context is also not super important. Generally, we would say things like we should be nervous about reading one Bible verse. Right? Like in most cases, my advice would be don't ever read one Bible verse. Read the verse before, read the verse after, because context matters. But not so much in Proverbs. For sure, there are parts of Proverbs that are extended paragraphs. Like chapter one is kind of one long speech. Chapter one isn't really like that. But lots of the book is these one or two verse Proverbs that really have no bearing or relationship to the context around them. So that's interesting. And the third thing about Proverbs that I find interesting, and I find this one kind of exciting, Proverbs has 31 chapters. Proverbs is the book of wisdom for living. It's almost built such that you can read one chapter every day and work through the book in a month. Today is July 16th. You could be reading Proverbs chapter 16. You could do this every month if you really wanted to take seriously Solomon's command to get wisdom above all else. Maybe you want to give this a try in August. Work through the whole book in one month. This week, we are focusing our study on the topic of work, which I got to say, I did not realize when I put this sermon series together how ironic that was going to be because I just came back from three weeks of vacation and the first thing that I'm preaching on is work. It feels ironic. Um, So what does Proverbs tell us about the topic of work? 
Well, the first thing that Proverbs teaches us about work, and this might be the main thing that Proverbs has to say on the topic, is this. Not working is bad. Proverbs contains over a dozen warnings against laziness. And I want to be clear that when Proverbs is targeting is the refusal to work, not the inability to work. If you're sick, if you have a condition or an injury and that's keeping you from working, this isn't talking about you. You have a job. Your job is to get better. Likewise, our society tends to only classify work outside the home as real work. If you work at home with your family and caring for the place that you live, you are doing real work. Are we clear? Okay, a couple of caveats out of the way there. So when Proverbs talks about people who are refusing to work, it often uses the word sluggard to, de- to describe a lazy person, which is just so evocative, right? It's like, it's like a gross word, sluggard. Blech. In some places, Proverbs is almost making fun of the sluggard. In Proverbs 26, 14, we read, As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on its bed. And in Proverbs uh, 19.24, a sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He will not even bring it back to his mouth. What an image. Just picturing some guy sitting on the couch, hand buried in the bag of chips, but like, oh. Right? Like, it's so, it's such a good image. In other places, Proverbs warns against laziness because of the consequences that it will bring. (coughs) just in case you thought I was kidding about the cough. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 11, we read some verses that are very well known. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. You can see in this passage both a reprimand of not working and also praise for diligent work, which is often how Proverbs does it. I should also point out that the the poverty that Proverbs speaks of is not merely economic poverty. It is a holistic poverty. Mental poverty, spiritual poverty, relational poverty, physical unhealthiness, depression, the lack of dignity that comes from dependence on others. Many of these themes come up elsewhere in Scripture as well. Paul has some harsh words for those who refuse to work. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 6 to 13, we read, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked worked day and night, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we did not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you 
to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food that they eat. As for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Paul associates not just, he associates idleness not just with failing to work, but with being disruptive. And I love this turn of phrase that he uses. They're not busy, they're busy bodies. It's, just, it's so good. And I think Paul is making the point that if you're not working, you're still doing something. Whatever it is that you're doing, then, make sure that it is something that is making a positive difference. Which brings us to the second point today about work. One that some of us need to remember sometimes. Working is good. Like I said, most of what Proverbs has to say on this topic is about the danger of not working. But there are some places where Proverbs simply praises diligence and hard work. Proverbs 12:11, those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. There's another one which I read just this morning in Proverbs chapter 10. Um, where did I find it? Uh, 10:4, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs often speaks of this that working is good and it has good consequences. The positive message of work, even if it doesn't come through super clearly in Proverbs, though it does come through, comes in very clearly in the rest of Scripture. First off, in the very early chapters of the Bible, we see God at work creating. We know that God continues to work throughout the Scripture, and we also see in Genesis chapter 1 that we as humans are made in the image of and likeness of God. The God who works creates people who work. Even before the fall, man is given work by God. In Genesis chapter 2, after God creates the first man, the scripture describes the task that God laid in front of him. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. In fact, it's a little more than that, as a few verses later, God also brings all the animals to the man so that he can name them. I always smile to myself when I read about some new species being discovered or a star being named or a process, whatever it is, as these humans continue to carry out God's command to name, to work. It's good. But I need to emphasize, I have to emphasize this again, that at this point, when God is giving this, this job, the fall has not yet happened. There is no sin in the world. It is true that work became significantly more unpleasant with the fall. God tells the man that work will, not in, will, um, will now involve painful, sweaty toil, but that doesn't mean that the work itself is bad. The New Testament also affirms this divine call to work. There are a few verses that I consider really central to how we think about life, and this is one of them found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. <coughs> God has prepared good works for us to do. God expects us to do them. God equips us to do them. 
God calls us to do them. Some of those good works fall into the ideas of charity or kindness, sort of the way that we would normally think about them, but some of those fall into what we would more broadly refer to as work. And I want to drop another caveat here, that work is not our entire calling. We are also called to worship, to parent, to honor our parents. There are many things that the Bible calls us to do. It's in addition to calling us to work. One of the main events in the Bible, and arguably the main event of the Old Testament, is God's rescue of Israel from slavery in Egypt. Slavery, right? All you do all day is work. And so one of the first things that God does when he rescues the people is to command the Sabbath day, the day of rest. It even makes it into the Ten Commandments. Because the Sabbath... That this day that we're to take to not work, this is a reminder that our identity is in God, not in our labor. I'm fond of the phrase, we are human beings, not human doings. So the Bible offers many warnings against the dangers of idleness and not working, but at the same time, the Bible also presents a limit to that idea, that there is more to us than work, and that those aspects of ourselves are not to be abandoned either. The last point that I want to make this morning is this. Work is rewarding. Let's start again with Proverbs, and then we can see what else the Bible has to say on this topic. Proverbs 13.4, a sluggard, there's that word again, a sluggard's appetite is never held, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. That sounds pretty good. Right? Having your desires fully satisfied. In fact, it seems to me that usually when people get into sluggardry, I don't think that's a word, sluggardry, it's because they want to, it's because they want to pursue their own desires, right? Like that's usually what's going on. It's like, no, 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 I want to do the thing that I want to do. But when was the last time that you met somebody like that who was really happy? When was the last time that you met somebody who neglected all of their responsibilities and just did whatever they felt like in the moment and was just like a happy person? Those people are not happy, right? They're happy for a couple of moments, but for the most part, for the most part, work, diligence, purpose, competence, these are the things that bring great reward and satisfaction. That's how you build a life that you love. Gaining skills and knowledge, applying them diligently, and making a positive difference in the world. (coughs) Jesus says something similar in another verse that I consider central to life building. In Matthew 16, 25, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus' point is this. Following him feels a whole lot like giving up what you want. It feels a whole lot like doing things that you don't want to do, sometimes with people you don't want to do them with. And yet, when you do it, when you lay yourself down and take up the mantle of what Jesus puts before us to love, to give, and to share, and to care, that you find more meaning than you ever thought possible. Because it turns out that God, who is eternal, who is the provider of meaning and value, 
knows a thing or two about where to find meaning and purpose. Who knew? The last verse that I want to share with you is from Ephesians. It is Paul's rebuke of the sluggards there, but contains the promise of purpose as well. And I think it's a good way to frame our clothes. Ephesians 4.28, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Because working isn't just about you. When you work, when you are diligent, you are making the world better. And it puts you in a position to be generous rather than in a position of need. Someone who can show love and compassion and make the world a better place one life at a time. Because our, our world certainly needs more of that. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wisdom found in the book of Proverbs. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see our Mondays and our Tuesdays and our Sunday afternoon work differently because of what you have to say. Pray this in your name. Amen.